You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Yeah, it's been a little bit of a break. Um, this is the first episode that we recorded after the Strange Realities Conference. Which was a blast of a smash. It, it was. It really was. Um, but, guys, we've got a special treat for you guys today because it's weird kind of how synchronicities work out. Because I was at home, I was on my phone, and a advertisement, a trailer for a film called witness to another world popped up on my phone and I watched it and I thought, well, that's interesting. I'd like to get somebody on that would, that could talk about that. And a couple hours later, I get an email from someone representing the director of the film, Alan Stevelman, and we have him. <laughs> so it's interesting how that works out. Alan, welcome to good Normal. Hello, Alan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's uh, like uh, like Serfiel was saying before we got started. Um, the film is excellent. I was not familiar with the case at all. Um, mm. so, but it's it's pretty much right up our alley of what we believe about like these events and UFOs and how all that comes about. And you had Jacques Vallée in the film, which I want to talk about. Um. But I really want to talk a little bit about you, first of all, like your background um, as a filmmaker, how you mm. became interested in this case. Well, well um, good question, because my life was a, a big mess when I was a teenager. I was studying IT, so I was a programmer in my high school. And I remember I watched a film called El Topo from Alexander mm. Khodorovsky. It was a surrealist yeah, film. Yeah, good film. And 
Ah, you saw it. Excellent. It's it for me. It was uh, like a mind blowing experience. I did not understand what I saw, but the thing that I knew is that I wanted to make films and provoke to the audience the same things that that film provoked in me. So when I finished the high school, I started to study film arts, and I when I was twenty four. I was like struggling with myself, having a, an existential crisis because plenty of things happened in my life and, and I didn't understand why I was in this earth, why are we alive, what's the purpose of our lives. And then I did a journey to the Andes because the Andes was the main source of inspiration. For my research, I was trying to understand the origin of men from the point of view from the Andean culture in South America. And then I went to the Lake Titicaca. The Lake Titicaca is a lake that is shared between Peru and Bolivia. And under this lake, below this, this lake, there is an ancient uh, megalithic construction it's like a little Machu Picchu that it's hidden. It's, it's not being discovered yet, but in the, in 1978, the same year as the Juan Spurs case, three scuba divers went to this Lake Titicaca and found these, these ancient structures. And I went to the, this place in order to find evidence of that. Uh, civilization on that construction because I was finding the traces of a lost civilization that was settled in the Americas many thousands years ago and then I met a shaman there uh, it called uh, her his name was Placido he's an Andean priest and together we spent six months uh, traveling across through the Andes and wow. my main concern and my main question was what was who, who what is the origin of men from his point of view and what is this lost civilization and he replied to me the first day that uh, he said something like if, uh, if you want to if you want to learn about humanity first you need to be human and when he said that I did not understand by that time what he was trying to tell me. And what he was trying to tell me was that from his worldview, from the Andean worldview, we are not human beings until we get some conscious on this world because it's like a state of mind, more similar to a state of consciousness. And, but... I wrote 200 questions, but then I like I deleted mainly 100, and, and then I wrote back 100 more, and we spent six months all over the Andes doing a, a film called, now it's called Humano, it's human in Spanish, and it was on Netflix, it was a worldwide success, uh, it it got more than six million viewers. It was a, a crazy journey that I never expected to become uh, a movie. 
And <laughs> then when I was writing uh, another script, another story in 2013, I was doing by that time automatic uh, writing. Uh, it was a story about an abduction case from a couple, a couple of uh, that they were, I think, 30, yeah, 30 years old. And then after 30 pages, I realized that I was writing a supernatural story about the UFO, about beings from another dimension. And I never read a book about UFO by that time. So I stopped there. I bought plenty of books about UFO. And one of the books was The Strangers. It was written by a psychologist and a psychiatrist. And one of these chapters was about Juan Perez because it was a book. Uh, it was about uh, abduction cases in Argentina, especially in Argentina. And at, uh, like a change of events and synchronicity led me to meet um, Dr. Nestor Berlanda, this, the author of this book. And he introduced to me uh, to Juan Perez, who six months after that I met him in his house, and he showed to me a small footage of Juan when he was 18 years old, and he was on a UFO conference trying to speak to an audience about what he saw when he was when he was 12 years old. And he broke down, he couldn't uh, he couldn't tell to the audience what he saw. And immediately after, I was like shocked about this footage because it was my first time that I was seeing someone who had an encounter with the supernatural. And I wanted to meet him immediately. So four months after, I went to the countryside with Dr. Nestor Berlanda and I had my first meeting with Juan. It was so powerful. I met a very big man. May, he was so innocent and so pure. And he started to cry when he started to to tell his story. And hmm. um, well, it's. It, uh, I want to stop here because I will be. I will take so long to to explain the whole thing. Yeah, I, I want to. Yeah, we'll, I want to. We'll get to the. I want to get to the story here in just a second. But you had no real interest, I guess, in UFOs or any of that. Any of that material before you started to like. You did that automatic writing session, so like this, it's like it almost like came to you through that in a way. Yes, thanks to that, to that exercise, huh. I I opened the door to the UFO world. I always were I I'm always I always were curious about the supernatural, the mysteries, but yeah. I was mainly focused on this lost civilization about the origin of man, about what is below Earth. But I was never focused on the UFO because I think but because of the movies and the literature, the way they portrayed the UFO phenomenon, for me it was something like kind of bizarre or absurd yeah. that I was not interested. A lot so, of sens sensationalism involved with it. Yeah. yeah. Or conspiracies about that. I'm not... Right into that kind of theories or uh, of course there are 
real conspiracy, but sure. especially with the UFO phenomenon mm-hmm. or Area 51 or those kind of things, for, for me it was something very, very separate from my way of understanding this, this world or this phenomenon. Right. And yeah, I, I can totally understand that because you, you're almost dealing with two separate things. I mean, you're dealing with that kind of sensationalism, that conspiracy stuff and all that just kind of weirdness. And then when you get to something like the personal experiences of these people like Juan Perez and what they've gone through, you know, you're dealing with something completely different, which we're, we're going to get to. But um, his story, and I wanted to... Just for the American audience, um, that maybe I'm familiar with it, but others may not be familiar. Now, Juan is considered a gaucho. Did I say that right? Yeah, gaucho. Gaucho. Yeah. It's like the. the I always want to say I always want to say gaucho because that's how the Brazilians say it. But. <laughs> uh, well, it's the same as the. Yeah. It's like yeah. a, we shared the same term. It's like the cowboy from from South America. They are. They have mixed blood, indigenous blood, and uh, Spanish blood. They are brave men, horse-killed, horse-riders, very tough and wild men, uh, similar to cowboys, but from South America, Brazil and Argentina especially. Yeah, and... Yeah, so I just people I wanted people to kind of know what that is because he do he referred to him as a as a gaucho and um, yeah. So his story. Let's talk about what happens to Juan. When he was twelve years old. Am, am I correct? He was yes. He was twelve years old. It was six o'clock in the morning of September sixth, nineteen seventy eight. Um, Juan leaves his house to go in search of the herd of horses to begin the tasks of the field. Before going to school, Juan has strict tasks to do, and his father was very severe with him, very stri- strict. And Juan rides his horse, Comet, that was the name of his horse, and gallops a few meters until, until suddenly three lights in the sky began to dance frenetically. His horse was scared, he did not want to move forward, and then Juan returns home and explains the situation to his father, and he ignores him completely and asks Juan to go back to the to the field and find the, the herd of horses. And then when Juan goes back with Comet, he observes that a thick fog was covering the entire field. Without fear, he decided this to cross to cross it but his horse was a little scared so it was difficult for Juan to make him move forward when crossing the fog bank Juan sees that a white circular circular object was landed on the ground um, yet Juan in the original reports mentions that he thought that he was seeing a kind of tractor so with something that because Juan thought the whole experience that he was seeing something familiar for him. He never thought that he was seeing a spacecraft or a UFO or extraterrestrial beings. 
he he thought that he was seeing uh, co-workers from the farms and the a tractor, very weird tractor, but it, but a tractor <laughs> itself. Right. He never. Um, Juan. Uh, well, Juan was staring at this object, and a gate opens, and a tall being looks out and invites him to go up. This this uh, this being was like three meters tall. So then a ladder descends from the ship. Juan shyly approaches with his horse, gets off, and ties the stirrups to the ladder. Juan climbs the ladder as he can. Each step is very high. And finally he succeeds and enters the ship. What he saw was a very strange space for him because on his left side, he observes that there is a small being, a meter and a half tall, who is cutting meat on a transparent table. And he was cutting a meat without blood. There was no blood on this meat. And this being has, uh, instead of hands, he has scissors. And instead of feet, it has wheels. And the small being ignores the presence of Juan the whole experience. He was just cutting meat, going from one place to another. On the right side, he sees this, this, the tall being who invite him to, to, to go up. And he is watching monitors and making hand movements as he were typing on a touch screen. And a very important detail is that in front of Juan, there is a transparent wall that prevents Juan from going to the other side. It's like an electromagnetic field. Juan tries to cross the wall with his hands, but he can't. On the contrary, the small being moves from one place to another without problems. Um, Suddenly, Juan starts to hear his horse and the gate begins to close. Juan is scared because he's afraid that his father will challenge him for being entertained. He quickly gets off the ship and sees that his horse was injured because he was uh, the horse was uh, hitting the ladder. Uh, the tall being appears next to Juan and Juan asks him for help. Suddenly, the tall being begin, begins to squeeze Juan's arm when Juan was asking why why this is happening to me and scratch the right arm of Juan. And I want to stop the narration here because in the movie we did a regression to Juan. It was the first time that Juan had a regression because I wanted to know if there is some lost memories on his case. Because one of the things that for me was pretty odd was that what had a very traumatic experience for more more than four decades. And when I saw the report and when I heard the story from Juan, the whole case, the whole experience was not traumatic. Nothing happened bad to him. Mm -hmm. So I did not understand why he was carrying this experience for so long with, with much uh, fearness and sadness. I, I couldn't find the, the traumatic part on him. So 
Yeah, that's that's what really stands out is that the emotional impact that it that it had on them, and that that like you said, the experience wasn't as negative as a lot of other encounters that you know we were all familiar with. But he just just carried that, and it seems like it's more because he didn't have a framework to integrate the experience, and because of the the social pressures that he didn't he didn't want to be judged. Well, right, and and I think too that he starts to have dreams that that start to become more traumatic than the actual event itself. Yes. Yes, that's the key. That's the whole point. The dreams that he had after, immediately after this encounter were the real deal. Those dreams were a living hell for Juan because most of these dreams were accidents or death mm-hmm. that Juan was not able to stop from happening. So he, he felt that he was responsible from these events. So he was so having precognitive dreams of people having accidents or dying and he felt helpless that he couldn't do anything about it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly because they were people from his circle, familiar, from his family, relatives or friends or co-workers, neighbors also. Yeah, it was so it's it was that's one that's why I wanted to make this regression in order to see if there is some new information and in, indeed it happened because while I, while we were doing this regression when this tolbing started to squeeze the arm of Juan mm-hmm. something really strange happened on his experience because Juan for I think it was two minutes, he was not able to speak. This is not on the movie because it will the the the, the experience lasts for two hours and yeah. the scene on the movie is just ten minutes because of yeah because we were doing a movie and we don't want to to get bored um, to to be make a slow movie so. But what happened was that Juan was not able to speak for two minutes. And then he suddenly started to say, wow, lot of stars. And this experience was during the day. So it's not possible to, to Juan to see the stars. So he was telling like, wow, plenty of stars, black stars, blue stars. Amazing, amazing. So then... Uh, I look to Dr. Berlanda, he was really surprised. He, he didn't know what to do or what to say. He just listened to what happened to Juan. And then Juan had a vision or he traveled. We don't know what happened. Uh, and then he broke down into tears because he saw something that was so emotional for him. And then we stopped the regression there because it was very a very strong moment for Juan and we don't want to go further and bother him. It was two hours of this regression. And, and yes, we stopped there and we all felt that something very strange happened. Uh, also, everyone who was in the room fell asleep five minutes after we start the regression. 
I've heard you talk about that, and uh, that's not you don't actually say that in the film, but you've said that in other places that everybody fell asleep. Did you fall asleep? No, no, I don't. I didn't, and also Doctor Berlando, yeah. we were the only one who remained quite awake. But the crew fell asleep. <laughs> yeah, the whole crew, the cameraman just put the camera record, and uh-huh. he went to sleep. <laughs> Everyone, we were like twelve people because we, we were five in the in the room and uh, seven more in the in the room next to next to us because there were family from Doctor Berlanda, some friends because it was a the the regression was the one of the main scenes from from the movie and Doctor Berlanda was a close friend for Juan. He investigated that case for more than ten years, so we. Plenty of people were really interested on participate in that regression, but everyone fell asleep. So, well, I want to ask you this, Alan, um, about the regression and the hypnosis of yes. What did he have? The because you know hypnosis, you can consider an altered state of consciousness. I mean, very much so. Um, yeah. First of all, was he ever regressed before? And second of all, when he was saying this about the stars, was do you think that he was having some kind of experience right then and there that he wasn't it wasn't a memory of what happened, but he was having mm. and we're going to get to some of the shamanic aspects of this, especially with the Guarani, but yeah. was he having mm. some kind of experience at that point? Uh well, Mm, now that you are asking me this, yeah. Now I feel I have my own conclusion on my own. It's just my idea. I want like speak aloud. Um, what I think that happened during well, it was the 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 first experience that Juan had with this kind of technique, and I want to mention and hi- highlight that it was not a hypnosis. It was not that technique. It was other kind of technique, more, much more softer. It's a, more like a relaxation or a meditation. And the good thing from this technique is that the the person, when he wakes up, he will remember the whole experience. So that's a good thing because we we can ask. When, when Juan woke, uh, woke up, we were able to ask Juan what he saw in some moments that he was not able to speak while he was having the regression. So plenty of details and information we were able to ask when he woke up. Uh, saying that, I think that Juan, while he was having this intervention, Juan was able also to interact with the phenomenon again. It was not, I think, because there is no time and space and we don't know what is reality. I feel and I think that Juan was able to interact with the phenomenon in real time again. And what he saw is it was something that comes from the last experience in the regression and not comes from the experience when he was 12 years old. Because we manipulate in a good way asking Juan 
to uh, ask the beings, for example, uh, who are they or why they are here, and they replied to Juan that they are here because they are working. They have plenty of things to do, and one of one, one time they showed to Juan a vision or of something that is coming from our to our earth, something bad like a storm or an, uh, a thunder. We don't know what it is that it's like coming to the earth, and these beings are preventing that damage from happening. And also, when Juan had this travel that was seeing the stars, and then he saw one of his relatives that he, he passed away plenty of years before. When he was, uh, before that, Juan was asking, why to me? Why is this happened to me? And he had the answer, uh, but the answer was uh, replied when he was having the regression. I think that Juan didn't ask those questions when he was 12 years old. So in a way, we are able to interact with the phenomenon with these kind of techniques right. at the same way that when we go to sleep and we dream and we have a, a very deep dream, we are able also to connect with this realm or with this world because we don't know what happens when we go when we go to sleep we, we, we don't also know what is reality and i have to highlight that for the warani people the warani tribe one of the most in, indigenous cultures in south america uh they say uh, juan the ancestors of juans are warani and the dream, um, the world of dreams are the most important things for them because it's more real the dreams than our reality. That's that's a good segue because another another theme in the movie is that uh, I'm just going to assume that as a gaucho, he probably uh, gauchos probably have a certain degree of of separation from a lot of the native traditions that form yes. part, part of their ancestry. So you. Uh, made an effort to reintroduce him to a tribe that was part of his ancestry uh, to help give him a framework to process this because these ideas of of the dream world and of encountering other other things are a, a part of these cultures. Indeed, the this is like a metaphor for what happened in the Americas with the with the conquest because yeah. plenty of people lost their roots with the indigenous culture and not only the indigenous culture because when I was doing this film I was asking myself what happened with my own roots because sure. I was separate also I, I came from a, a, a Jewish tradition family culture but I, when I was 12 years old I just uh, cut off everything that is related with religion. I didn't want to know anything about religions, so that's why I was struggling with existential uh, pain and crisis, and then I did this journey to the Andes to find myself. I went to Buddhism. I went to plenty of religion and beliefs in order to understand what is, what are we, what is humanity, what, what, what am I, who is Alan, what is reality. And while I was doing this film, 
that we helped Juan with plenty of people we, because Jacques Ballet was really important on this task. Uh, we all helped Juan to reunite with himself that he was able also to, to integrate his experience. And the last goal was to this reunion with his, with his own roots that was cut off when his grandfather passed away because his grandfather was the only one that was the true connection with his Guarani roots. Do you think the grandfather, if he had lived, if he had been around, that he would have eventually instilled that into Juan, some of that, the ideas of the, of the Guarani culture? And that that well, got aborted because he passed away? Yes, I think in a, for... In the words of Elder Francisco, one of the shamans from Paraguay, what he told us that it was that at the age of 10, when his grandfather passed away, Juan was trying to understand why this happened. He was like trying to, to get a meaning from the life, from the death. He was seeking to himself. And two years after, at the age of 12, a very symbolic age, he had an answer from the supernatural world. But he was not able to understand it because he didn't have a guide, for example, his grandfather or a shaman, mm -hmm. that helped one to integrate those symbols, that those archetypes, in order to... to probably to become a shaman, because if Juan was born in Paraguay, in this community, he will become uh, a shaman for sure. Yes. Yeah. And and he goes through, you take him to, do you take him to Paraguay, I, I think, to that community? And he goes through a ritual that allows him to basically integrate the this aspect into his life yes it's a ritual that it's called mitakarai every person every man who 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 have who has 12 years old needs to to do this ritual is like a baptism because at the age of 12 it's it's like a rit rite of passage yeah um what you have with this ritual is that you, the, the, the story is that we have two names, an external name like Alan, Adam, and an inner name, a spiritual name. And that name is linked to our purpose on this land, on this earth. So we did this ritual as a way of connecting Juan to an ancestor knowledge and ritual from his ancestors and well, I don't want to say what name he he got but it's pretty it's pretty awesome what he had because sure. it, it provokes me the idea that Juan it was, is if he was born on that land he will become uh, yeah a shaman because he know he had he, after this event, after his case, he had the gift of clairvoyance. For Juan, it was a curse, but for Guarani people, it's a gift. Right. I, I think that's the that dichotomy between 
us in this modern day Western technological culture, we've lost some of these ideas and some of these experiences. I think we still have these experiences. We just radically misinterpret them, but we've, we've lost some of that, that the indigenous people still have and still are able to integrate people into their, into their culture. It's, um, I mean, that's, that's, fascinating to me mm -hmm. yes i agree and it's not these rituals are not just from the indigenous culture we have to think in europe thousands of years ago there were some the the, the, the pagan religions there were the, the celtics culture right. plenty of these rituals are along all over the place and right. for example the, the word shaman is not from the indigenous the word shaman comes from siberia so That's true mm -hmm. the shamanism is a phenomenon it's a phenomenon without religion without a culture it's all over the place and we as western as you said we need to integrate that knowledge again because we will get mad probably in 100 year more we uh, our earth would not be the same as as we know today it will become much and much worse yeah i think we've lost a lot and i think that we're starting to rediscover it now yeah and it's just this idea of, of a direct personal experience with the other uh with with dreams whereas with our Western society, it's, uh, you know, religion had, had become, the mysteries had become reserved for, you know, the, the priests and the priest caste, and it, you know, it became separate from people's everyday life. And maybe we're kind of moving back towards that again, where people in the West are seeking shamanic personal experience. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, if you look at, you know, the DMT and how popular that has become. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, all the yeah DMT, breath working. There are a lot of techniques that are quite popular now that help us to integrate the some unconscious experiences and to understand that we are much more than we think we are. How has Juan's life changed since he had that ceremony? Uh, his whole life changed completely. For example, now he's living with his family again after more than 40 years, I think. He now sleeps wow. with his father, with his mother. Some of his siblings lives next to his house. Now he's taking care to, with he, of, of his father and his mother, but with a lot of joy because he wants to take care of them. He wants to recover that bond that was cut off when he had this experience because he was not able to share what he saw and he only received mockery from them. And another thing that happened that was quite magical was that his mother was able to speak about because uh, her mother confessed 
to Juan that when she was uh, a child, she also had an encounter with these beings, the same one, with a tall being, and she was also kidnapped. Uh, hmm. She was really terrified. She, th- his whole life, Juan was not able to understand his mother because she was very, he, her attitude was really strange. For example, she didn't want to be touched by anyone, and that was something very strange for, for Juan. But it, after many years, it, it became something pretty common. But now Juan understands why, what, why uh, her mother was, why she didn't want to be touched, because she explained to Juan that when anyone touches her, she receives the, the information from that person, some illness or something that will happen to him or her. So the same that Juan has when he goes to sleep, that's the same gift that her mother has when anyone touches her. And that's a brand new information that Juan had, and now he, and now Juan felt very relieved because now he knows that her mother has the same thing, and his grandfather also was the one who was carrying this stuff too. So the the grandfather that had the Guarani heritage that was the mother's father. Yeah. Okay. The mother, father. Yes. Yeah. yes. So, so the lineage comes from his mother. We're, we're dealing with something here that is a lot in the like abductee or the contactee um, material. Is this whole idea that this these experiences run in bloodlines, generational yeah. bloodlines? I um, mean, you know, there's been some studies done here in the United States that, you know, they've talked about, you know, some of the abductees have, you know, Native American heritage or oddly enough, German heritage. I mean, just stuff like that. And Celtic it's just, with the fairy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's mm. one of them too. And you know, that, that's, that's a fascinating idea, but I, I don't know if it's like un, totally unexplainable because we've been talking about the Guarani and how they have, they're close to the spirit world. So some of that, mm. I guess, can be transferred through the genetics. Exactly. And that was one of my questions before I start this project was if there is a connection between the lineage of these contactees and the UFO phenomenon. And the other question was if there is a connection between the afterlife and the UFO phenomenon also. Yes. Yeah, that that is. Yeah, that's one of the things that and that comes up in fairy lore too a lot. That contact mm. with the dead, with the deceased, the ancestors, the departed, that comes up a lot in the Celtic fairy lore. Um, Indeed. That's very much a part of it. Uh, there was a few things that I wanted to kind of point out about the case that really that really struck me. Um, just, you know, some of this high strangeness, I guess you're familiar with that, that term. Um the high the idea of high strangeness some of it i'm i'm struck by how mundane sometimes some of the these experiences are and a couple of things that really struck me and i don't know why this in particular was that he he tied the horse to the ladder 
<laughs> I, I yes. thought that was interesting. So there's the, there's that physicality aspect there that you're able to actually tie this rope that's attached to the horse to the ladder of this of this craft or whatever it is. And then he goes in there and the the one creature entity is cutting meat. <laughs> and that reminded yes. me that reminded me of a case I don't you may be familiar with this in in here in the United States. I think from the 60s, a guy named Joe Simonton, that uh, he, in Wisconsin, and he was outside one day, and a craft lands in his yard, and he goes out to check on the, to see what's going on, and these these guys are inside this craft making pancakes, on a grill. Pancakes, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, it, it sounds so ridiculous and it sounds so absurd, but that's, it, that yeah. struck me as like a weird similarity. And they actually gave him one of the pancakes, you know, and, and here's in Juan's case, they're in there cooking meat on a, on some kind of cooking apparatus. And it's just yeah. all these yes. odd little just aspects the, of these cases. Well, I, I totally agree. It is absurd. Yeah, but I want to highlight something that it's quite strange that two days before this this event, uh, two cows were found uh, mutilated in the house of Juan in the farm, mm-hmm. and also the his horse Comet uh, died twenty four hours later. The, the contact. Yeah, because he tells the one entity, he says, my horse is sick, and he's afraid because he's more afraid of what his dad is going to do to him if the horse dies or gets ill than he is afraid of what actually is going to happen. He's more afraid of his father in that moment than these entities. I found that striking, too. Um, Yeah, me me too. and, And he says something when you interview him that I also found very interesting. He says that his... His experience, he said, was neither beautiful or ugly. Mm, yeah, that's the way he described his experience. Well, and well, I think it's the best way to describe it because it was not something bad. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All good for him. Yeah. So there's that neutral aspect of all this. In, in, this, the- in this case, yes. I have to say yes. Because for Juan... It was, he never thought that he was seeing aliens or a UFO. For him, he was seeing something strange, but it was linked to a, to something familiar to him, like a tractor or people that goes to work in the farms, but yeah. they are wearing something pretty weird. Um, but yes, for Juan was quite normal, but the, the terror came when the dreams comes up to to his to his mind to his experience yeah it's like he's been touched by something otherworldly 
And after that, it just triggers this cascade effect in his psyche that allows all these other these other aspects to take place in his life, and then he can't integrate that fully into his life. Well, he pretty much became a shaman, it seems like, but he didn't have a reference. Yeah, which I think is what happens a lot to these people that have these contact experiences. Yeah, they they don't know how because because we're so apart of from that. We were so apart from that world from that worldview, we can't integrate that. Yeah. Yeah, they don't have the tools nor the knowledge to to know how to use that that tool or gift. So I, I would I want to ask you this about this kind of concept that I just wrote down here, concept of UFOs as a display or like a symbolic mechanism. And all these different aspects of the case, some of the weird mundane things that I point out, I can't help but think in my mind that there's some kind of symbol symbolism going on, a kind of hmm. as above, so below kind of aspect which is interesting you mentioned el topo at the beginning of the of our interview (laughs) (laughs) yes because it's so surrealist right uh and i and these cases are pure surrealist when 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 had when juan had this experience uh with when he was traveling and he started to to fly with that, that's bizarre that's absurd it's not logical uh, he was in the field and 30 seconds after he was in the middle of of, of the cosmos so it's it doesn't make sense so that's why we we fall into the category or the idea of uh, the display or the holographic or the vision or, or the yeah the shamanic uh, vision of of this phenomenon because if if not there is no sense that these beings will gift pancakes to Joe right. or a glove a gl- because one something that is not in the movie and I did not I did not mention was that after a while the tall being. Uh, removes his glove from his hand and gave it to Juan as a gift because the tall being wanted to to he, he told Juan that the others needs to believe Juan that his experience was real and that uh, that glove was a proof of that encounter it was a very big glove when Juan entered his hand to the glove he felt that was that something inside was moving on that glove, but when he was returning to his home, while he was galloping and riding his horse, three lights came out this this spacecraft, and little light like yeah like I don't know what like little hats, they took it they took the the glove and Juan was not able to to prove that that encounter but some things happened because Juan uh, till today he had the he has the mark from that encounter on his right arm his horse uh, died 
one day after there is a big mark on the grass on the grass of the farm that the, it, that was the place that the UFO landed. But I think those evidence are not enough to prove the existence of the UFO or this kind of encounter. What we only have was the trauma from Juan. That was real. His tears was real. And that's why we choose to make a movie from the human aspect of this phenomenon and try not to prove. There are some people or we are, tr we are getting messages from UFO fans saying like, oh, your movie is bullshit. We wanted to really? know more about the UFO, about the aliens, what, what Juan saw, because they are, they are like materialistic people and they yes. want to right. like prove their own ideas that these UFOs are real. And in the movie, we are not saying that this is real or not real. We are just dealing with the experience that Juan had with this supernatural encounter. And that's it. That's the purpose of the movie. Try to help Juan, not to prove the existence or not the existence of the UFOs. Although there is, you do talk to a couple of guys in the film that had experiences that were not anywhere near like Juan's, but they had their own experiences and they had their own in that area at the same time, which I thought was interesting. That was thanks to to Jack Ballet, because he told me that there were three other cases on the same area the same week. And he, when I was starting this project, he gave me uh, his original reports from that trip to Venado Tuerto, the hometown of Juan. And I spent more than six months trying to find those guys because it was really difficult to find it. Uh, finally, we found them and we interviewed them. It was a really nice experience. But the main thing or the main difference is that uh, Carlos and Roberto felt they were really scared when the phenomenon came up. But Juan was not afraid the whole experience. So that's a particular difference between the three cases. And also, Carlos and Roberto ran away immediately. Carlos was driving his car, going go. he was going back to his house. He was on his girlfriend's house. But that time, he was 21 years old. And while he was driving, uh, the car stopped the engine won't didn't work and he looked at his right window and he saw seven spacecraft some of them were landed and others were on the on the air and another absurd thing happened on hmm. this case because he saw some beings tall beings the same as Juan and he he saw that two of them were trying to fix as this spaceship. Like they were having tools trying to fix that, that spaceship. Right. And that's a funny thing. And, but he was really scared. And that's then similar he, to the Lonnie Zamora case here, I think in New Mexico um, in the sixties, 
the police officer that the police officer he saw this craft landed in a in a field or out in the middle of the desert and it, it, there were two guys out there trying to fix it <laughs> oh, yeah the same thing wow yeah. what's the name of that game uh lonnie zamora uh um, yeah that was from i think 19 early 1960s actually greg oh. bishop knows a lot about it because he actually knows um the guy he actually knows him and knows the guy's son too so well the similar thing the the the, the bizarre things appeared and the case of roberto was quite a bit uh, different because uh he saw while he was riding his bicycle going to his work it was 4 a.m in the morning and above his head he saw a really big red light and a beam like liked him and he started to feel really hot he was heating inside of him and he started to to feel very anxious and he like he threw his bicycle because it was broken and then he started to run and he entered the the bakery because he was working on a bakery shop and then he he never had the same experience again, but he was on his house, like separate from the world for a whole month. Hmm. Yeah, it was it was that traumatic for him. For him was yeah, pure yeah, very traumatic for for both of them, for Carlos and Roberto. And they were both older. Yes, older. Uh, Roberto was, I think, he was eighteen. Were they more urban? Do they live in a yeah, Orphan. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, they they lived in the city of Benal Tuerto and Juan was living on the same house that he's now today. It's like two two kilometers away from the from the city, from the hometown. Okay. I'm gonna talk a little bit about Jacques Vallée and his involvement with this. Um, because he was apparently, I guess, involved from I guess close to the beginning with Juan and you got in touch with him and you were able to get him to come out there to Argentina to, and to be part of the, of the documentary, which is an achievement. Um, cause, um, I mean, Jacques his valet has kind of left a little bit of the UFO stuff behind, although he's, I think he's starting to kind of come back into it recently, but mm. what's well, kind of like, you know, his involvement with the case and his, his thoughts on it. Well, um, I I wrote to to Jack when I when at, at the beginning of the project because my idea was to interview him in San Francisco. I knew that he was not like familiar or with movies or or TV show. He has a very low profile, um, but well, I I tried to to take a shot and I took it. I knew that he met Juan when, when Juan was 14 years old. He visited Juan in 1980 with his wife, Janine, because Jack was hired to make four conferences in Argentina. And the only thing that Jack asked was to have some free time between those conferences to meet a contactees in Argentina. 
And one of the encounters was with Juan, and he wrote about this encounter in, on one, one of his books, uh, Confrontations, and also in Forbidden Science, his own diary of investigation. So I told him on my letter that I was doing a movie about Juan's first case, that Juan was not feeling well after more than 30 years of that event. Uh, he was not able to integrate that experience. I also mentioned that the vision of the movie was more about his theories rather than any kind of other theories. Um, yep, yeah, that's it. And I also attached him some photographs from his visit to Argentina. And um, yeah, I wait for a reply. And after a month, I, I got an email from him saying that he was really sad knowing that Juan was not feeling well, that he was not able to integrate that experience. Uh, he also told me that I was, I can go to San Francisco to make an interview to him. And I don't remember what else he said, but at the end of the letter, he told me that he has an idea that he, that he, he doesn't want to bother me or interrupt my project, but he felt that there will be a great idea if he comes to Argentina to stay with Juan, to try to help him, to stay with me also and my crew and make a, yeah, a, a good movement. In, to, in order to, to help Juan. So then I felt really happy. I changed my whole script. And we spent 10 days with Jack. And he also, since the moment I told Jack that he's, he, could, he could come to Argentina, he studied for six months Spanish because he wanted to speak with Juan without intermediates. Wow. Yeah, I was, as an aside, I heard you talk about this um, last night on the Radio Serioso, but uh, I was curious. Um, he, I mean, he's he's French. So, yeah, I mean, is it, uh, is it, is it, is it difficult to kind of go from French to Spanish? Oh, yeah. Is it, yeah, it's difficult. It's not so difficult to go from Spanish to Portuguese or... Right. In Italian, but French is way much different, and it was really difficult. Of course, at his age, because by that time he was seventy-seven. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, but it it tells you a lot about his person, about what kind of person Jack is. It's a wonderful person, a great human being, uh, also uh, an amazing professional. Uh, it was awesome to see him working on the field, asking questions to Juan, listening rather than speaking. So it was really nice experience having 10 days with him in Argentina. And I understand too, that was uh, with Valet that this case was particularly interesting for him because Valet's wife is a mm. child psychologist. And at the time Juan was, I guess, I guess by the time Valet, he was put have been probably about fourteen, 
Yes. So, I mean, it, yes. you, you don't hear too much about, and that's another interesting part of this case, is that you don't hear too much about these, these cases that involve children like that. Yes. Yes. And that was one of the things that Jack was really interested because he paid attention a lot to what child sets about these kinds of encounters and and also he it was really special because it was something that he shared with his wife she was a child psychologist and i think it was a case that they spoke a lot on their on their home on yeah on their home um for 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 Jack, it was a quite good journey because he also closed a circle with this movie and with this project. Not only Juan, uh, and not only Juan, and not only myself, uh, be- because Jack also was able to close something, to put an end with something with with his wife or with 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 Juan or with his research. That's fascinating. Uh, I want to, in the time that we got left, Alan, um, I want to talk a little bit about this that you mentioned at the beginning. Um, I guess that you're working on a new project now mm. that is about this um, ancient civilization there in South America. Yes. And, yes. Um, you know, this has come up recently because Graham Hancock, you know, he had the book out of America Before. America Before. And yeah, he, I have it on my, on my table here. So you've read it? I, I am reading it. I also planning to invite Graham to to this movie or to this project. I was with him two weeks ago on his house discussing about this project, and I'm really thrilled to 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 invite Graham to to this project. So, what is the what is this film gonna entail? Um, well, it's a it's a film that I was involved for more than 10 years. It's about the qu- a quest of this lost civilization um, that was settled in the Americas, but also in the East, in the region of Egypt and the Himalayas. Um, and I think the, the, the hardcore evidence of this lost civilization are in South America, especially in the Andes, because the archaeological evidence are there. I think probably in in the Himalayas are also, but we have to dig and excavate. And there are not much more details about that research. But in, in South America, we have the, the specific location where we have to dig in order to find those evidences and it's a story about these traditions that comes from the west and the east from the from the andes and the himalayas both cultures speaks about an underworld that it that thousands of years ago was not underground but uh, for example in the in the himalayas they they called this place for this lost civilization Jambala or Jambala. And in the Andes there is the tradition of the Paititi. 
and there is a person in Europe, in, especially in near Barcelona, that it's called Anselm Pirambla, and he was the one who, who he was the only one in the world that went to to the Andes to excavate in the heart of the Cusco in Peru, in in the Coricancha. The Coricancha is the ancient temple of the Incas that now is uh, the convento of Santo Domingo. It's like a church from the uh, Dominical order. And he excavated there because there is an ancient tunnel Two kilometers tunnel that goes to a special place. It's a it's a mount it's a mountain that it's called it's a citadel. Sorry, that it's Saksai Woman. And below, according to chronicles, below that place there is a network of tunnels and chambers, and all the treasures from the Incas are there. And if we were able to open this secret we were we are going to be able to to give an answer about our origin about this lost civilization and put the history in order because the there was a civilization in america at the same time that there were the egyptians so history needs to be rewriting because we have the the evidence, but now, but now I, I want to make a movie in order to give a message about this. This is not a theory. We are talking about science, and but we need the the tools in order to to make this happen. How far back do you think the civilization goes? Well, I think more than. 20,000 years. 20,000 years. Yeah. Yeah. Already done some, done some researchers goes back to 20,000. Yeah. That's, yeah. um, that has been, I, I think a theme lately about the, the new discoveries that have been going on in, well, here in North America too. I mean, you know, the, the whole dating of, how long people have been here yes you know it, it keeps keeps moving up and up and then when you get into south america you've got you're dealing with even more complex things you know i believe that uh, hancock writes about the um the terra preta the black earth in there in yes. uh, in brazil um in the rainforest and how there's some of these the serpent, these, the serpent mound yeah in ohio for example yeah, oh, yeah, yeah yeah and we we've got the mounds all over the place here and, the, and where we were at. And that's been this guy right here, Sarah has been studying a lot about that. And mm. it's, um, it's fascinating to see how, you know, how far back all this stuff goes and that, you know, the fact that there could have been this worldwide civilization. I, I mean, I don't, I've said it many times on this show. I don't, I don't doubt it for one bit. Um, are mm. you familiar with Randall Carlson? Are you familiar with his work? No, no. What's his name? Sorry. Uh, Randall Carlson. He's no, actually I got a. He's actually associated with um, with Hancock and um, Randall. Uh, is a good friend of ours. Um, he lives down in Atlanta, and uh, he's he, his whole thing is like the comet impact theory that mm. uh, during the Younger Dryas era, that 
the comet hit the earth and probably caused the end of this like great civilization and Randall goes I around I, I I think I heard it on a Joe Rogan program yeah yeah he was on he was Joe on Rogan with, with Graham with, with, with oh, yeah. yeah yeah and uh you know I mean his his work I think is very important and I think people are beginning to come to the realization that you know civilization is far older than what we give it credit for and then also you've got Gobekli Tepe I mean that's they're saying now 11,000 years old Mm. and it dates back around to that same time and um you know a a lot of the stuff in in south america was it um machu picchu and um the teowanico uh, all the stuff around lake titicaca all that is you know is these huge megalithic sites and we're using these huge stones and these ideas of how, like, you know, how did people build these things back in that time? And, you know, like, there's all these traditions about, like, I think the Incas even said, like, you know, they, they weren't the ones that built it. And, you know, all this, and, you know, that they didn't know who built it. Kind of like Stonehenge, you know? Yes. Yes. But we, archaeology and the academic world needs to put, uh, an end to some of their theories because there are some missing gaps or in for example in in south america history it's not allowed in the archaeology world to speak about the idea that saxai woman was not built uh, uh, by the incas or machu picchu if you say that was not built by the incas you will be probably be banned yeah that's Uh, true so it's yeah, so it's not the same thing happened in Egypt. The, the 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 Egyptologist says that the pyramids are tombs. So really weird stuff to say that they are just tombs, but that's the the orthodox word. I want to ask you this, Alan, about uh, you know the Yuvanos Witness of Another World, this film that you're working on now. Do you think there's a link between all the between all this material? The, the UFO well, material, what you're working, what you're working on, the yes, with the yes. with the ancient civilizations, and then also your own kind of like personal journey that you chronicle in the first film. You know, do you think there's a link to some of this? Yes, on an unconscious level, I have to say yes. Um, and I think there is a relation between relationship between the UFO and the search of this lost civilization. I don't want to give some details now because yeah. I will be probably titled as a lunatic, but <laughs> I, I want to have the proofs <laughs> and the evidence, but I know for I know in, in my heart that there is a relationship and the connection in the search of this lost civilization, the UFO, the afterlife, and I think everything is connected, uh, but I have the proofs on in the way of shamanic and all the shamans um, connect, but I need the proof to Western world. So that's why I'm, I want to make this movie and want to make plenty of projects in order to, because I also work in the Boigerus Explorer, I work with Anselm Pirambla, this researcher, and I probably I will go to Peru on January because we are going to to try to make some field work because our main our main how do I say 
our main goal is to reveal the secret of the Andes because he has the knowledge, but he has not. He's a very he's like Jack Ballet. He's really low profile. He yeah. never spoke into movies or TV. He only re did research and research. Uh, but now he knows that it, now is the time to to speak. And he lives there in Spain. Yeah, he lives in Spain. Okay. I want to 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 try to make some conferences, or one or two in 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 the states, in order to to let this message start like to grow because it's really powerful. It's quite different than what is out there. It's not. Uh, it, nothing to do with ancient aliens theory or extraterrestrial theories or the governments are high hidden these secrets nothing like that right right agreed it's more aligned to 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 graham hancock's theory but it's quite different because he he had the esoteric knowledge for example of why the nazca lines were draw like that what is the the like the importance of the paracas candelabra that it's a geoglyph of more than 100 meters tall height it's really important that geoglyph that it's in the bay of paracas in peru so he has all this knowledge and we want to make a a, a good message around that well, you know, Hancock has also had those DMT experiences too, and he, I think, he draws a lot from that in that that kind of like shamanic journey, and the possibility that you know, through the communication, ancient people's communication with some kind of intelligence, allowed us to build those things. Yes, yeah, I, uh, I know, I know that there is a big possibility on that. Um. Just one final question for you. How has your life kind of changed since you made Witness to Another World? How has it influenced you? Well, I think one of the main aspects that changed me was uh, that now I'm more relaxed with the idea of death. Because hmm. by that time, for more than three years, I was struggling thinking a lot every night about what is afterlife, if there is something or there is nothing, just the light goes off and that's it, end of story. Or I don't know why, but I was really obsessed with that idea. And I don't know why, after this movie, after, this, after making this movie, connecting with the shamans, connected with some ideas on what happened with Juan after that, the, the reuni reunion with his family, the whole healing process. I think some the healing process came to me also and healed something that was very profound, that was the idea of death. And now I'm quite confident with that. I don't know what, what is afterlife, of, of course, but now I'm not more obsessed with that. And also I learned about the what one of the most powerful tools that we have, that is the power of listen. And I understood the importance of that on Juan because just to, to listen to his story, the whole healing process started to, to happen. 
So my whole perception and way of understand the reality changed co completely. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was a great movie, man. I definitely look forward to this next one. I need to check out Humano, too. Yeah. Oh, Humano, oh, it's, it's free on YouTube, so you can, okay. whenever you want. You can. Also notice yeah. it's, on, it's on Amazon Prime as well. So. Um, oh, okay. excellent. Uh, where can people see Witness to Another World? It's um, now it's everywhere on iTunes, Google, Amazon, uh, PlayStation, Xbox. You can check our website to get more information, witnessofanotherworld.com. Excellent. Excellent. Well, uh, Alan, this has been excellent. Uh, stay on the line for us. Uh, we're going to close this section out. And guys, we'll be back to close out the show on Conspiracy Normal. If you want your HR team to hire top talent for your company, tell them about ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology identifies people with the right skills, education, and experience and actively invites them to apply to your company's job posts so you get qualified candidates fast. It's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. This rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over 1,000 reviews. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Conspiranormal. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Conspiranormal. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And it's similar in a way because he talks a lot about ancestor stuff and being in touch with your ancestors and oh, like, yeah, it's it's... The themes are just popping off, man. Just popping off. Anyway, we're back. We're back. So that was a very interesting interview with Alan Stiebelman. Yeah, and I, if you uh, haven't seen the movie yet, I'd recommend you go check it out immediately. It's one of the, one of the best. Uh, one of the best in the the field. Yeah, yeah, and you uh, you contributed money to it, which was awesome. Um, yeah, because, yeah, I rented it. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Because we had a we had a viewer copy that was sent to me, um, but somehow you weren't able to get it to work. But yeah, uh, but it was it was totally worth it. I watched it with my sister. Um, people who may not be necessarily UFO people yeah. would be interested in it. Just people who are a little more, you know. What did she think about it? She thought it was really interesting. Do you get, get any kind of anything out of it, or just? Yeah, she just thought it was real interesting. I mean, she's a you know she's familiar with a lot of the stuff, and she thought a lot of the uh, Native American spirituality stuff was uh, pretty fascinating. So right. Well, you were talking about uh, we're just we're just talking here, just you know, did not on air, but you were talking about like some similar stuff that you were like in your own family. Well, That's just like the similar idea, to Juan Perez, and what well, just you, the idea of the gauchos, yeah. very similar to like my great grandfather. How um, you know he was from like north new mexico and the same kind of thing where it was like a, he was a step removed from uh, a lot of the traditional aspects of of his native american ancestry with the farmers and stuff so it's you know that, that's kind of similar so i totally understand that idea right of the who the gauchos were yeah, kind of like you're in between two worlds in a sense. Yeah, yeah yeah the colonial world and the yeah. native world and and alan was right when he talked about how you know, this is not something that is the whole concept of shamanism. I mean, that's not something that is just in the in these indigenous people. Although they have kept it alive, yeah, you can much see more so. You can see an unbroken strain. You know, a lot of European people are trying to get in touch with this stuff, but it's kind of it's been kind of abstract. You know, and even you know, we're so removed from it that it 
a lot of times it seems like hokey to people. I don't know if it really has the same effect. Yeah, well, there's that new age aspect too that has kind of made some of this stuff a little weird and kind of, kind of hokey. And there's definitely people that play on that and sensationalize right. it a little bit. But in in the folk magic traditions, I guess that's where you're really gonna find absolutely what's, what's left and what's an unbroken chain. That might be a little bit of foreshadowing there, just hint, right? right? Um, which you know, I've been looking into a lot of the folk magic stuff lately. I mean, that's, that's, that's interesting, uh, but I'll leave that there. Um, you know, I, this one was interesting because I, he has been making the rounds on a lot of shows and I wanted to try to establish, and I think we did it. I hope I haven't, I've only listened to one interview with him, which was the radio Mysterioso interview that he did with Greg Bishop and Miguel red pill junkie. And I hope that we kind of ask him some questions that maybe nobody asked before and kind of get him on his own kind of like personal journey. Yeah. And interesting that he mentioned El Topo, which I have not seen, by the way. Oh, it's great. But yeah, uh, what, what is, what's it about? Is that, uh, can you even describe it? <laughs> Put you on the spot. It's man. just a Jordanowski movie, man. It's a, it's got a lot of yeah. symbolism, a lot of, western esoteric and indian stuff and it's it's all over the place i mean okay so yeah i i, I was pretty impressed by the documentary and that him having valet in it and uh, what valet had to say and um not too surprised that alan got some flack from the materialist crowd yeah of course because it's not uh, cool enough i suppose but whatever that happens so, yeah, he uh, he definitely did a good job with this, and we're definitely I want to definitely have him on. I want to check out Humanos, uh, which is his 2013 film, which is on Amazon Prime. You can watch it for free there if you have Amazon Prime. And he said apparently it's on YouTube as well. Yeah. So, um, I definitely want to definitely want to check that out. I think I'd seen that on Netflix at some point, and I I, I did kind of I wonder if that's in Spanish. Because this one was in English. Yeah. But I guess he's trying to appeal to the English market. Right. But, but uh, there was a lot of subtitles because there was the the tribesmen weren't weren't speaking in Spanish either. So Right. They had to subtitle that stuff. Right. Yeah, there were a couple other things I did not get to ask, but uh, one of them that he pointed out in the Radio Mysterioso interview that I saw that I heard was that Juan Perez is a very common name. Okay. Apparently. Probably, yeah. Like kind of like John Doe or John Smith yeah. would be. Yeah. And he there were some interesting aspects that kind of like Alan thought were kind of cool in that, that uh, you this this happens kind of to the everyman yeah. aspect. Yeah. It happens to the person that, that you would at least expect it to happen to. Uh, the fact that it's a child. And then, as I pointed out before, the mundane aspects of the case, of all these high strangeness cases, I really think, in, and it's hard for me to get my head around some of this, but I really think with the high strangeness cases, that that mundane aspect somehow may be the most important. Yeah, that just yeah. that 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 symbolism that is involved with why are they for, why are the cooking meat? You know, why is there a wall that keeps him away from the from them? Why does the horse get sick? Tie and for some reason. As, as I said before in the interview, him tying the horse to the ladder yeah. is just fascinating to me somehow because of the physicality aspect of something that is essentially a spiritual 
experience. Yeah. <laughs> but still manif- can, but still can manifest in the physical world. Something that I wasn't thinking about is that what he was he was 12 when that happened? 12. Yeah. Is that the I wonder if that's like the same age or right around when he when the people he came from would have when he would have had his coming of age I think so ritual. I think so and that's why I asked Alan about the grandfather and whether or not if the grandfather had lived yeah whether or not his grandfather would have made him go through that ritual or would have done something similar to bring Juan into that rite of rite of passage that rite of manhood i mean the year of 12 it varies right between cultures but the generally between 12 and 15 you know our culture yeah. we see 18 and we right. don't really give anybody a rite of passage except for you know being able to to vote or to drink graduating high school <laughs> graduating high school yeah that's pretty much it you know, so but in in these in these indigenous, so a so-called non-advanced societies, that you know they have these rites of passage. There's no such thing as adolescence, right? You go straight from being a child to being a man, or to being a child to being a woman. I mean, that's you start getting practice being an adult, which might be helpful for our society because right, you know, right. I'm also something that I've also cited before in this show. There is there was an article out there that I read a few years ago about people that were schizophrenics that were taken to indigenous cultures and were basically incorporated into those uh, into those cultures as shamans. Right, right. And those people flourished. Yeah. In that society, in yeah. that culture. So there's something to be said for the indigenous culture. Okay, well, we did not talk a little, we did not talk about the Strange Realities conference yet because we we're going to do a whole kind of sh- little bonus episode devoted to the conference. Yeah, absolutely. But it did go well. Um I think that uh, we impressed the people that we that were there. There were no overt disasters, I don't think. No, not at all. So, um but we in the coming weeks, months, uh, we do have some footage that we're going to try to get up uh i don't know what we're going to do with that quite yet we got to kind of sit down and talk about it but but we're gonna yeah we're gonna find somehow to do that um but we will talk about that soon and we were also as part of that episode that bonus little bonus episode we'll have the question and answer session from that night as well so all right um just housekeeping stuff as usual Serfiel, you can tell us where they can find us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash conspiranormal and make a one-time donation at conspiranormal.com. That's right. And also, guys, don't forget, we have a YouTube channel, Conspiranormal Podcast. Give us a a subscribe on there. Maybe we're about 250 subscriptions away at this moment from being able to monetize if we can. And uh, so that's so that's a good thing. Leave a review on iTunes if you like the show. Only give us five-star glowing reviews, though. Yeah, so. please. All right, guys, that's it. Uh, we're going to call it. Um, so next time we'll, we'll be back to talk about, I think we're going to be talking a little bit about Appalachian Backwoods Ridgecraft. All right. So I'm, I've got that schedule. I'm looking forward to that. All right, guys. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back on Conspiranormal.
the show, please consider becoming a Patreon at www.patreon.com slash conspiranormal or leave a one-time donation at conspiranormal.com. And please check out our YouTube channel, Conspiranormal Podcast. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.